Welcome to the Shaping Champions podcast, a platform for discussion and exploration into what it takes to be a champion in life. We speak to athletes, entertainers, business people, and everyone in between about their journey and experiences, discovering the key ingredients needed to become successful at whatever it is you do. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Shaping Champions Podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Shaping Champions podcast, where we talk to professionals across various fields and discuss what it takes to shape present and future champions. I'm riding solo this week. I do not have my esteemed co-host, Mash St. Patrick Hewitt, with me. But nevertheless, it's going to be a great one. I'm very excited about today's guest, a man who would be equally comfortable holding a pen in one hand and having a boxing glove on his other fist. He is the current Commonwealth light flyweight champion. Delighted to welcome to the podcast, Matt Windle. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, mate. I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks, bro. Thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to join us today. Really, really grateful of your time. So, first of all, Matt, I'm going to ask you the same question that we ask all of our guests to kick things off. What does it mean to you to be a champion? It's a, it's a broad question, isn't it? It's big. I mean, of course, you could just be like a a champion of uh, in life and and champion in sort of certain charities or goals or, or things that you want to do in the community and stuff if, if I'm talking specifically for me within the the sports aspects of of my life and um, being a, a champion being the the Commonwealth champion it's a representation of my my life's hard work you know everything that I've that I've put into into boxing I've been doing it for 18 years now so it's over half half of my life and uh, my the whole of my adult life and I've sacrificed so much uh, in the in the pursuit of obtaining a championship title so it's it's a representation of of all the hard hard work that you've put in over x amount of years Okay, so I'm going to flip this on its head a little bit right from the start. Uh, I imagine we'd be kind of expected to talk about this a little bit later in the podcast, go through things chronologically. But as you've touched on it there, how did it feel then to reach the, the, the peak of that mountain, the one that you'd been aiming to climb for, for such a long time? Yeah, it was it was ineffable, <laughs> really. I couldn't really put it into words. The thing that that meant the most to me was just seeing how much it meant to my family, my coach, and of course my friends that had come up to support me and people that were, were supporting me back home and stuff as well. But to see my my big brother with with tears in his eyes and to have my, my head coach, Benson McCracken, who, you know, he's kind of few and far between with the words that he says and stuff for him to be giving me like a a big hug and saying, I love you, kid, you know, I love you, and that sort of stuff. They're the things that, that really kind of stick with me. Um, so, yeah, it was it was great. But then, of course, when you're, when you're an active sports person of any sort, it's like, okay, that's amazing. What's next? <laughs> so you're always straight on to the, you can't just sit around patting yourself on the back, eating tubs of ice cream, getting fat for too long you know because you know you're going to be expected to to get to it but I'd had so many 
decisions throughout my amateur career and also my professional career where I felt that I'd won the fight. Um, I, I had one amateur opponent years ago who, who got the win over me and he, he actually turned around to me in the ring and he said, tell people you won that. He said, because I didn't win. <laughs> he said, so tell, tell your mates and stuff that weren't here that you, you won that fight. Like every boxer will tell you that they've had fights that they thought they won or decisions go against them or whatever. But honestly, I've, I've really had it like tough in that sense and I've had my, my resilience tested to the, the absolute limits. So that's why prior to winning the title, that's what it was as much for me. I said, I have to win this to make everything make sense. So my last fight before lockdown was for the Midland title and I fought twice in 2019 for the Midland title against two different boxers. Um, thought I won the first one. I, I dropped in with the left hook in the second round. Um, we got. I didn't get the decision. Everyone thought that I did enough. Um, and then the board ordered a rematch. He then vacated the title instead and moved up a weight division. So I fought somebody else for it again. Felt that I did more than enough to win. Lost by a point. And I remember saying to Spencer after the fight, what's the point, Spence? Like, all this hard work that we're doing, what's the point? And he said, well, don't make any rash decisions. I said, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to quit. <laughs> it's just, it's not in my DNA. That's not even, but rhetorically even, what, what's the point? We're putting, you're doing all this graft, all this dieting, all this sacrifice. And I'm, I'm just not getting it. And this was in the flyweight division. Then lockdown happened. You're bored. We're all just preoccupying ourselves and filling time. And, and I started looking through different different like boxing councils, so the European Boxing Union and the Commonwealth and the British rankings and all that sort of stuff. And um, I noticed that all of the Commonwealth titles had champions apart from the light flyweight division. Okay. And then there was, I, I always try and keep up to date somewhat with people that are in my weight division because you never know when you, your path could cross, whether it's sparring, whether it's a fight, whatever it yeah. might be. So I remember reading about this this young Scottish prospect unbeaten uh, who was on, was on the Scotland squad and internationals and stuff as an amateur. And he said in one of his interviews that I read during lockdown, oh, I could do light flyweight that that weight division doesn't exist in the country, so I'm I'm competing at, at flyweight. I remember thinking, he said he could do light flyweight. So the flyweight limit is eight stone. The light flyweight limit is seven stone ten. So you've got to be under that, basically. Um, four pounds of that weight is a big, big jump. You know, you, you might think it's not much, but if we could all keep losing four pounds, we'd all be light flyweight. You get to a point where you can't lose four pounds anymore. You just physically can't do it. Um, but for one of my eight stone title fights, I weighed in, not, not on purpose, it just was what it was. I weighed in at seven stone 12. So I was, I was two pounds under that limit. And I thought, if you come in two pounds under the weight limit, that's not your that's not your weight. That's not your division. So then I thought, so then I'm a, I've only got, it's not four pounds I've got to lose then. 
it's two pounds I've got to lose from the lowest I've ever weighed. So I thought if I've done seven stone 12 trying to do eight stone, surely I could do seven, 10 or seven, nine and 10 ounces or whatever. If I'm trying to do mm. seven, 10. So I made a phone call to my manager and said, what about this for the, the Commonwealth title? And I know I'm coming off a loss, but we'll build up the Scottish kid and he's unbeaten and we'll try and make it all out for him. Um, his manager is such and such. So then, oh, I know so-and-so from way back. And so, you know, picks up the phone and, and that's how it all kind of started. So that's what took me to the light flyweight division. So had I have won the Midland titles at flyweight, I potentially would have been entangled in that flyweight web and maybe wouldn't have got past the Midlands area championship, which still would have been a fantastic achievement, but obviously the Commonwealth is, is so much bigger. So I was like, I have to win this to make everything make sense. When I look back on any fight of mine from my very, very first fight in 2006, when I thought I won and I lost two judges to one, um, and everyone in there thought I did enough to get it. So from that fight to my most recent professional fight, I was like, I can look back through any fight in total now. What have I had? Amateur and pro. I think I've had 60 fights. I've had 78 fights in total. So I could go through from one to 78 on any of those fights. And any of the ones that were a bit iffy that didn't go my way, I could say, I suppose to lose that. I suppose to lose it because it's testing my resilience. It was seeing how much I wanted it. It was each time then I'd lose at featherweight and then I'd eventually I'd be at bantamweight and then eventually I'd come down to flyweight and then I had a dodgy loss at flyweight which made me move down to light flyweight and, you know, you just keep coming down and I was like, I win this, everything else makes sense and none of those dodgy decisions matter now. I don't care. I could have had 78 fights and lost... 77 of them if the one that i won was for the commonwealth championship i don't care um so i was like i have to make it make sense so that's what i did i just trained it took up the whole year because at first we were told we was going to fight in in march then it was like may and they said july then it was august then it was september then it was supposed to be in September, but it was when the Queen died and all sport got cancelled on the Friday. So then it got moved to, to October. So we, it was literally the whole year that I was training for, dieting up at 20 past five to do my morning run before work, work nine to five in the gym then, half five till, you know, whatever, half seven, eight o'clock, you're home, cooking, drying clothes, all that sort of stuff. Alarms going off at 20 past five again the next morning. So I was like, I, I just have to, I just have to win this. And um, thankfully I did. So then you've got that safety net then if you go, right, the worst it gets for me now is I was the Commonwealth champion. And the Commonwealth Games reminded everybody just how big of a deal the Commonwealth is. So it's, it's a really, really big thing. It's a third of the world or whatever it is. So... I was like, I've done that. I'm the first British fighter in its 122, 23-year history to win the light flyweight Commonwealth title. I'm the first Commonwealth fighter this century to win the light flyweight title. 
And by doing so, I became Britain's lightest champion. So we also got to make a little bit of, of history along the way, which in the greater scheme of things, you know, it doesn't really mean anything to anybody else. But to me, I've got to do things that no other British fighter has, has done. Um, and we're probably, certainly pound for pound, the best country, the best nation in the world at boxing, when you look at us amateur and pros, what we do at the Olympics, the number of world champions that we have, we're a superb country. So for for little little me in South Birmingham to do something that no British fighter has, has ever done, that was a, a huge, hugely proud moment for me, you know. Amazing achievement. Absolutely incredible. I mean, what it brings up for me, a few things. Firstly... How did it change your approach? You know, when you, you say you took on that mindset of, I've got to win this, did it change your approach in any way to the fight leading up to it, the build-up and, and how you approached it? Um, and also, did it make the victory more, like, even sweeter, like everything you just discussed? Yeah, the, the victory is definitely sweeter. You sort of bask in it a little bit more, I think, Approach-wise, I've always I've always trained diligently. I've always trained hard. Um, one of my my first ever coaches, Gordon Young from from Warley, when I was boxing there, he used to say to me, "Most lads, certainly early on in the amateurs, they might be tall for the weight and rangy and all the rest of it." He says they could box at seventy eighty percent and still be skillful enough to win on points. He said, you're going to have to be 100% every time you box just to stand a chance of winning. So you, you've got to be fit. So him saying that to me early on, I, I can't remember at the time if that was either before my first fight, but it was certainly a handful or less, you know, five or less fights. So that was like, right, okay, well, obviously you want to win. Any sport, any game you ever play, you want to win it. That's why you're, that's why you're doing it. And, and when you're getting punched in the face, <laughs> you don't want to be getting in the ring and, and not be winning. So I was like, right, okay, if I've got to be 100%, if my fitness has got to be, I've got to train hard. So I've always trained diligently. But I think what it did was I put additional pressure onto myself um, and I, I box better with, with a bit of pressure when I know there's kind of a safety net. I don't box quite the same way. You know, when you read or hear of things on the news, like a mum stopped a rolling car with her bare hands because it was about to drive over a baby, <laughs> you know, and so she managed to just do some superhuman strength because the pressure was on there. If you asked her just to stop a car, she will not be able to. But when the pressure's on, she could. So I, I need that little bit of, of fear and, and pressure to be able to to do that so I kind of invited that pressure onto myself and then it's just that you know your alarm goes off early in the morning you don't want to go for a run it's freezing it's pouring down a rain all these reasons and excuses that people use for why they don't do it on that morning or after work or whatever it might be um I had to say well how how bad do you want it do, do you want it or, or do you just like the idea of it because that's the thing most of the time. People get it confused. They think they want something and they don't really, they just like the idea of it, but they don't really want it because they'd put the graft in if, if they did want it. I'd love to be able to speak Spanish, but I'm not going to come home every day and 
rehearse and revise my, my Spanish. Do you know what I mean? I just love to wake up one day and I can speak Spanish. It's like, I like the idea of it, but the graft I'd have to put in to actually learn it at the moment, I'm just not prepared to do that. So the, I didn't like the idea of being the champion. I wanted it. I did, you know, so it just made me, um, yeah, that pressure made me get up out of bed, not care about the weather temperatures and just do what I need to do. Brilliant. And how do you get that balance right? You know, so I imagine if, if people put too much pressure on themselves, they can crumble. Um, how do you maintain the right level of pressure without kind of getting in your own head and making too much of a thing of it? Yeah, I'm not sure. And I know a lot of people nowadays will, will talk about balance with things. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a big um, star sign fan or anything like that, but I'm, I'm a Libra, so I'm, I'm the scales. I'm all about balance and boxing and poetry. Your, your symbol is and, yeah, that's the, what like, is, balance. Is the balance. Scales, yeah, so like yeah. I say, I've got, I've got the boxing and the poetry, and that kind of balances me out the yin and the yang and that sort of stuff. But um, I, I don't know if if there was a balance as such for me. It was just about being real and honest with myself, and I was just like. I need to win this. That that's all it was. It wasn't that I was putting pressure on myself in the sense of I was saying, if I don't win, I'm a really poor fighter, or if I don't win, I'm going to retire. Or it wasn't necessarily anything like that. There wasn't like a a punishment that I was giving myself if I didn't win. But I was like, I've I've just got to win. It's just like losing wasn't an option. And I know you could think, well. Why don't you go through every fight like that? But of course you can't because it's different and sometimes you do know that there's a bit of a safety net underneath you or it isn't the end if you were to lose or whatever. But with this one, I was just like, I, I, I just can't. I, I can not lose, you know. It'd be like the house on fire and you, your most prized possession or, or you, you, you know, you're, you're the most loved person in the world is in there and someone's saying, don't go in and try and save them. You're going in, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You're going in, you're wrapping yourself in a blanket or something and you're going in and you're trying, there's, there's no, you're not thinking about the pressure of it or what's going to happen to you negatively or you're just going in. Mm. So it was the same. I wasn't even trying to get a balance or anything like that. And for, for my life as, as that was taking place, there was no balance because like I, I said to you, I was, I was up at 20 past five to train working nine to five in the gym for our five, six, not out of there till half seven, eight. You've got to eat and stuff, and then you're repeating it all again tomorrow. So people say to me, how do you, how do you have a social life? How do you? I don't. I'm single. I live alone. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I speak to my mates through text, and, you know, I, I, I don't uh, have that balance, but it's because I had a goal of, of what I wanted, and so balance kind of had to somewhat go out the window and then I had a nice Christmas and you know January February comes and you you're back to the grindstone ready for the for the next fight I think you've completely epitomized being dedicated to something in what you've just said you know like laser like focused towards achieving something but give us an insight into you know because it sounds like you were so motivated for this fight Give us an insight into what your, how you felt when you stepped into the ring. Because obviously you're saying, I'm not losing this fight regardless. Uh, but there's another guy on the other side of yeah, the ring who's yeah, probably thinking something thing. similar. Yeah. So how did you feel in that moment and how did you control what was going on? 
there's I uploaded a, a video onto like my Instagram and stuff of the the introductions, and you just see me like bouncing bouncing in the corner, and they're introducing him, and then they introduce me, and you know I've got kind of my my vex face on, and I, <laughs> I sort of I separate it like you know talking to you now, and ninety nine percent of the time, I'm I'm that window poet really, even when I'm at the boxing gym and that sort of stuff, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of Matt Window Poet. I'm, I, I try to be nice and, you know, get on with people and that sort of stuff. And then in the ring, as mad as it might sound to people or whatever, they're like, I'm Matt Man. You know what I mean? That's where I'm just like game face on. I get like this death stare and I'm just, I'm just on it. I'm, I'm just up for it you know I'm just, I'm just ready to ready to go and I've, I'm, I'm not sure if he did or if he didn't but you, on that video you can read my lips I thought as I was like jumping up and down and looking at him I thought I've read his lips say let's go and you see if you could just read my lips and you see me like jumping up and down on the spot and I go yeah let's go and like, I'm, I'm just I'm just so on it, and I suppose the only other way that I can explain it for people to get quite a clear understanding of it is if you've ever watched the films where they're like all a bunch of hooligans and stuff, and they're they're standing opposite each other, and they're all kind of mouthing off at each other before they all go running into each other and and start having a fight. Obviously, this is a illegal and more controlled and trained and less alcohol fueled uh, version of it but it's it's that anticipation like you know in you know one minute two minutes whatever everybody's gonna get out of the ring and it's just me and him and we're just gonna be able to to knock bells out of each other which will sound crazy to some people i understand and it's it's crazy when i watch it when i'm live and i, and I watch boxing this is mad decision, you know, this is a crazy sport that we choose. But when I'm in there and in that moment, it, it it's like there's there's two of me again, the, the scales thing, you know, I'm, it's like there's just there's two of me and that's just you, you, yeah, when we do the face off and stuff, I just try and think of the most like horrible illegal things in the hope that it's just gonna come from my eyes <laughs> and just and just scare him. You know, I just try and be like as mean as possible. I, I think I've got, you know, a fairly kind of friendly looking face. And I'm only a, a little dot and whatever. So I'm not the most intimidating presence. I'm not Mike Tyson or anything. But um, on, on fight night, I think you, you'd look at me and however big you was, you'd think, oh, I'm going to be in for an hard night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be in for an hard night. One, one of my... One of my little mantras is, you know, you might bleed me, beat me, but you'll have to bleed to do it, you know. And um, it, I've got that sort of mentality. I'm, I'm not flowing Mayweather. I'm not unbeatable or anything like that. But I'm, I'm gonna give you all I got, you know. And if, and if you're not ready, if you've cut any corners, if you're not on your game, I'm gonna beat you, you know. So um, yeah. Prior to that, to that, and the, the ironic thing was. We knew nothing about him. There was no footage. We didn't know if he was orthodox, South Pole, tall, short. We, we we didn't know a thing about aggressive back foot boxer. I, I didn't know how to pronounce his name. 
Mm. His name was Sifelele Maeza, so I didn't even know how to correctly pronounce his name. No, because he was he was from um, he translating English to the land of the Zulus in South Africa. I thought we know a thing or two about Zulus, <laughs> there, you know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, I was uh, I, I knew nothing about him, so he, he could have just been an absolute sensation. But on on that night, at that weight. No one was close. And that that was one for all the Birmingham City fans out there, for anyone <laughs> who didn't get that connection. Um, you know, he was he was coming to to bring it to a Zulu, in essence, wasn't he? You know what I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was from one Zulu to another. <laughs> so um, you know, what, what I find fascinating, Matt, is you're in you're in the ring, the fuse has been lit, essentially. It sounds like what you're saying. The fuse has been lit and something's about to go bang. I'm guessing the adrenaline's pumping. You know, um, you're in a heightened state of awareness and all that sort of stuff. Have you always been able to control that? Or when you first started boxing, did it take some getting used to and did you have to implement some techniques in order to sort of control everything that's going on in that moment? I've not always been able to control it. And that, that's what got me into boxing <laughs> because I got, I got permanently excluded for, from mainstream school. A couple of, a few different factors. One, talking too much, arguing with teachers, Jack the Lad, class clown, that sort of stuff. Um, the other thing was for fighting and being kind of a boisterous lad. And the, the final thing was I had a bit of a reputation. Certain teachers took a disliking to me. So if I was anywhere near something that happened, I got the blame for it. So there's kind of two thirds of the things there that... I, I did wrong and rightfully got in trouble for and the final third that I, it wasn't me that did wrong but I still got in trouble for it anyway you know what I mean I got I remember once I got into um I got a, a warning five which is like suspension and sent home and that, that sort of stuff um a break time so people probably never even normally get a warning five throughout their whole school life I got it a break time for refusing to pick up a piece of litter that the teacher knew wasn't mine, right? So I I hate dropping litter and stuff. I've I've never done it from from a nipper. I've just never done it. I've always put my rubbish in the bin. My my mum spent. I mean, obviously both my parents, but my dad's always like kind of worked six days a week and stuff. So grew up largely with my mum, and she's just always drilled it into me. Rubbish goes in the bin. Um, a lad dropped some litter on the floor. A teacher come over, Matt. Pick that letter up, put it in the bin. I said, oh, I, I didn't drop it, Miss. I'm not saying you dropped it, but I want you to pick it up, put it in the bin. I was like, no. Warning one, pick the letter up. No, you, you give me a warning a thousand, I'm not picking up that letter. And you think at the time I'm, what, 13, maybe 14, something like that. But to be honest, I don't think I'd handle the situation a great deal different. Maybe I would pick it up and still give verbals as well I don't know but I was just like no warning two pick no you know I got like warning five and in loads of trouble and and you know what I mean so there was stuff like like that um but from the from the fighting perspective I was just I wasn't a bad lad but I was just like your typical teenage lad sporty fancied all the girls going to a few fights I was just your typical typical lad then I also got got and I'm not saying any of these things with any sort of pride or boast but I'm also not saying them uh, ashamed of it either because it's what led me onto the path to where I am now and the, the man that I am now and I, I got permanently banned from playing 
Sunday League football from from the FA, a, a game for fighting, but with the parents, not not the other players, largely with the parents. So I'd go in with a tough shoulder barge or something on one of the players. The dad would start moaning about it. I'd give a bunch of verbals back to the dad, and next thing, me and the dad are rolling down the hill. I'm like 14 years of age and five foot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So again, like who should have known better there? Really, the 14 year old kid with the chip on his shoulder, or the dad? You know. So um, again, I'm not. I, I wasn't innocent by any means, but it's like who, who, who's the one that should have known better there? So I was getting into trouble for, for sort of fighting and that kind of stuff. So. Um, that's what I said to my parents and can I start boxing so I asked if I was 10 when I could do it and my mum was like oh my baby's not boxing so it was fair enough I didn't do it but I always had this affinity to to combat in in general loved Bruce Lee growing up my big brother did karate but he was an adult so he was using his wages to to do it my parents couldn't afford to to send me and um, he got me this Thai boxing kit when he when he went to thailand and funny fact that the shorts that he bought me when i was about seven eight years of age um before my light flyweight fight still fit me because i'm i'm that little when i when i'm when i'm you know my weight and that has to go so thin that clothes that uh, i had bought for me when i was at primary school i can still squeeze into which is crazy um so but you know so i've got that like tie boxing kit i had one of those uh, punch bags from argus that you stand on and you punch on it and it springs it springs back to you um again at primary school i love like wwf wrestling and all that kind of stuff um and and then that grew then as i got into senior school into following the boxing and so on so I, just, I loved um, Chuck Norris as well, and I just I just loved martial arts and and that sort of stuff. So finally, my my parents said, "Yeah, we'll we'll let him go boxing because he'll he'll probably find out that he's nowhere near as tough as what he thinks he is. Give up after a month or so, but at least he scratched that itch. He can't ever blame us for anything. Then at least we've let him we've let him do it. And um, eighteen years later, I've now got. Play-Doh putty for a nose. <laughs> it's just all uh, all squashy, and there's just nothing nothing left left in it. So yeah, I just felt like it was um, it was something that I needed in my life. And then of course the discipline that I have now from boxing is more stringent than. 17 years ago when I started boxing there there are times during like a sparring session you've got a bit head hot-headed or it's got the better review and and stuff but um yeah largely the 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 discipline is just something that's that's bred into you because it's you want to box if you're boxing you want to box and if you don't have the discipline you won't be boxing so you don't again you don't have a choice you want you you've got like we could be in a round and we're punching and then the bell rings for the end of that round. But if I don't want to listen to the bell and I just keep punching, I'm not going to be getting to fight or spar very often because no one's going to trust me to stop punching when I need to stop punching. So it, it, it's a discipline that's, if you really want to box, it's almost forced upon you. And when you hear idiots say, oh, I couldn't do boxing because, you know, I'd, just, uh, I'd lose my rag, I would. I'd just I'd end up like kicking them or something, you know just got no discipline and you don't really want to do it that's your thing but yeah you know we without discipline we're nothing are we whether it's discipline to go to work to eat healthy to exercise just for health benefits to train for a fight anything anything at all whether it's following rules abiding by law 
yeah, we we all need discipline. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a big thing. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Shaping Champions podcast. Thank you again for listening. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Shaping Champions Podcast. Please do subscribe to us at wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you'd like to discuss anything with us, make any suggestions or offer up any guests that you'd like us to interview, please do contact us on any of our social channels or email us on shapingchampions at outlook.com. Enjoy the rest of the show. That that word get men- gets mentioned a lot, doesn't it? Whenever sort of people discuss boxing, and for the general public, for those who, who are not kind of involved in the sport, they see two men or women in a ring just absolutely clattering each other. I'm really interested in what are the things that we don't see in boxing. I mean, you've mentioned discipline there, which is obviously a, a key sort of characteristic of, of being in, involved in the sport. What are the other things that you'd say, Matt? It's just ninety nine percent of stuff that they that they don't see. I mean, when I when I also do mentoring with with people when they get released from prison, and I, I, I deliver boxing sessions, I deliver a whole range of different sporting and physical sessions for them, whatever they want to do, basically. But a lot of them want to do a boxing session with with a professional boxer, so I'll take them on the pads, and I'll be breaking down little defense techniques and, and punch combinations and stuff with them and like oh there's more to this than what i thought there was They're just you know setting traps cutting the ring off um the the health and the and the fitness of it you know getting up in the morning so a boxer has to be semi good at a vast majority of other sports so you've got to be a good long distance runner you know I I run kind of my my daily standard is six mile and then I'll do anything then up to sort of half a marathon type type distance a 13 mile or whatever it is um and I'll occupy any anywhere between there um but you've got to be a decent weightlifter for your, you know your strength and conditioning your sprints also so not just your distance running you've got you've got to be a good sprinter and and cover a, a vast period in a, in a short space of time i think for my last fight i ran like five and a half mile in 36 minutes because that's the time of of the fight 12 rounds um you know so you've got to be a good sprinter um, i do a lot of yoga and that sort of stuff so again you've got to be somewhat sort of spiritual or yogic or flexible or at least have the intention of being flexible then it's about your breathing and and that sort of stuff so all these things that we're talking about and i would have missed bits out that i'm not even thinking of right now all that 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 i've mentioned none of that's the boxing stuff you know then you've got your your punch combinations and your your pad work that you're doing with the coach the bad bag work that you're doing your sparring that you have to do your nutrition that then comes into it so you got to be a you know a semi-decent sort of nutritionist and have some form of knowledge of food and know what to eat when to eat and and that kind of thing so they, there's just so so much and somebody in in the office at work said to me before about like because they get to they got to see because I'd, I'd run into work a lot of the time and then shower and stuff when when i got there and there, there was a funny time that once we was doing our morning briefing just seeing who we had on site risks that we had to manage and so on and so forth so we'll do that every day 
and they asked the question and they said, because we, we do initials and they said, who's, you know, whatever, MP. And they just heard this little voice from, from down on the floor go, whatever, you know, oh, it's Michael Palmer. And everyone looked down. I'm just there in the plank position, <laughs> just they're like, "I forgot you, you were, you were in it." And I'm just there doing my planks, doing my ab works, but still contributing to the morning briefing at work. And I said, you, "They got to see more than what virtually every everybody else in my life gets to witness for how much training I'm putting in and how hard I'm training and dieting and all the rest of it." And even they still don't see half of it, mm. you know. So yeah. it, it, it's just constant, you know. You, you train in morning, you train in nighttime, um, you're working on the techniques of, of the punches, of the defense work, of the footwork. Um, it's, yeah, there's, there's just so, so much to it. It's called physical chess boxing, you know. They, they say it's like physical chess. So for people that know how how intricate and how difficult chess is, imagine that physically and getting punched in the face. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so, you, you can, how long do street fights last for generally? 60 seconds, maybe two minutes. You ever see these videos of street fights and stuff? They don't last very long at all. No. I'm fighting for 12, three minute rounds. We've just said 36 minutes. So, do you think that you can fight for 36 minutes if you both just stood there just swinging for the fences and you've, you've not put a whole heap of, of training and, and effort into it? You know, so there's, there's thought about it. So there was once I was sparring, and this might be quite difficult to just verbally explain, but he, he had his back to the ropes and he was kind of central to the ring but closer to the left corner than he was the right corner. So I fainted. I thought I want to get him in that corner. So I fainted, stepped to my right, so there was more space to my left. So naturally, he then stepped to his right, filling in that space. I've then stepped left, so I've cut across him, so I've, I've closed that distance down. I've then fainted again, which made him take a step back. I've stepped right again, which took away his left hand. And then as I've come into punching range, the only punch he could throw there was the the big right hand because the jab would have been like a backhand, flicky, illegal shot. As that backhand's coming, one, I know that's the punch he's going to throw because it's the only punch he could throw in that instance. Because of where I'm standing, that punch is taking longer to reach the intended target, which is my face. So I've got more time to see it coming. So I managed to slip it, let it go over my right shoulder, boom, left hook into the ribs, sat him on his pants. It's really fascinating, Matt, to hear you describing what's happening in that moment and the way that you're thinking in what is essentially like a few seconds, isn't it? You He's know, setting punches up. So if, if, I, if I throw a jab... And I noticed that he's snatched at my jab to, to block it or parry it. The next time I'm going to faint my jab so that he snatches and I come round with a left hook. Or if I notice that when I drop a jab to his body, his left hand drops, then the next time I'm going to faint a jab to the body and I'm going to throw a right hand over the top. 
or if I throw a jab to the head, I notice his hands are coming up high to protect his, his head, then I'm going to faint to the head, bring his hands up high, and I'm going to sink and, and try and put some, some body shots into his ribs. And so you, you're always looking at ways that you can kind of trick him, I guess, and make him think that you're going to do something and then do the opposite instead, yeah. It's amazing the, the intricate detail that goes into it. I mean, you called it a thinking man sport. What, what I'm, I'm interested in, you, you described a lot of the, you know, when I asked you about what is it that we don't see in boxing, and you talked about all that physical stuff that no one sees, all the graft, all the hard work, the dedication, the, you know, the commitment to getting up at those early dark mornings and all that kind of stuff. But what about the mental side of it as well? What, what's the side of it in that sense that we don't see? If, if, if you're mentally weak at all, you, you just boxing is not for you. It's because for, for as physically strong and fit that you need to be, the, the mental side is everything. And when it comes to, to fight week and you're making weight... You know, what I mean, I, I, I won't even go into like big detail on on what fighters need to do, but all they, all people need to do is is kind of look on YouTube and whatever to see how some of the UFC fighters make weight and the weight cuts that they make, and and you know they can do their own research and and looking into it. But you see people, you know, saunas and wrapping themselves in towels and training the the morning of the fight and the night before the weigh-in or the and just you know sweatsuits and just everything that that comes with that week not not drinking hardly eating getting the water weight out of you um there's been so many times throughout my boxing career and i thought I wish I just tried harder at school. <laughs> I wish I, uh, I wish I wish I developed a social media platform <laughs> or something instead. My uh, my life would be a lot more financially successful, and I'd have a much bigger gut. But uh, yeah, it's uh, the, the the mental side is is everything. It's it it's so brutal. Your body's always sore. Um, you know, with, with the training and stuff, again, when you're sparring, you're getting punched, so your nose is always sore or your lips always cut or your eyes always black or whatever it might be. And uh, you, you, you was doing, you know, lunges and squats and stuff yesterday and then you, you're up in the morning to, to go for a run and your legs are hurting you. And this is all through camp. And then, of course, you get to fight week and, like I say, you're having to cut your fluids and reduce your portion sizes and... You know the the meals that, that I I eat are, are very small, and I can go to bed some nights, and you know you, you hear your stomach rumbling as you go to bed, or you wake up in the morning and your your stomach's just like growl. You think I, I didn't know I didn't I didn't know I had a dog, and then you, it's your it's your stomach that's just growling at you instead, you know, and uh, and of course when you when you can't have something, that's all you want. So someone says, don't press the big red button. <laughs> you just want to press the big red button. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a massive foodie. I love, I love my food. But as soon as you think you can't have it as well, you crave things that you haven't eaten for the last, you know, if it's been two months since your last fight before starting the next camp, as soon as you then officially like back on diet and stuff you crave things that you haven't even eaten in the last two months that you could have eaten it and you haven't but 
now, as soon as you can't have it, you want it. So to be in your house, Saturday I always find hard because if I, if I have a rest day, Saturday is the day that I rest. And if I do do something on a Saturday, it's of a morning and I've got kind of the rest of the day, the afternoon and evening to, to my own devices. So you kind of sat there, maybe a bit bored, maybe just watching the football or putting a film on or whatever it might be, and your stomach's rumbling and you just want to sit there sort of snacking, you, you get into your own head about, like, oh, I'm really hungry, I just want to I just want to eat stuff and, you know, that kind of thing. So to, to have the option of going into a shop and buying whatever food that you want to have and not. <laughs> You've got to be mentally strong to do that because we're all in this country very, very privileged that pretty much we can have what we want. You know, you want a chocolate bar, you can go get a chocolate bar, you want some fizzy pop, you can have a fizzy pop, you want to eat in a restaurant, you go eat in a restaurant, generally speaking. So, um, yeah, you, you, you've got to be mentally strong just to have that with strength to say no and to not go to things that you want to go to and to not eat things that you want to eat but again come back to what i've already mentioned that's discipline that's that's what discipline is saying no to because we all overeat even if even if you're in shape generally we we overeat we all we all eat more than what we why do humans need to eat we need to eat to keep ourselves alive do we only eat or what we eat, is that specifically to keep us alive? Or is it because we like the taste of it? You know, so we, we eat things because it tastes good. And something that I say a lot to people is people have to be intimate with one another to reproduce and to stop the human population from becoming extinct. But is the only time that humans are intimate to reproduce <laughs> of course not it's because it's at least should be a pleasurable experience for them and it's the exact same with food you know it's, it's a pleasurable experience so we don't just eat things to keep us alive or eat what we need solely to keep us alive we eat it because it tastes nice and it's a pleasurable experience so um yeah it's it's something that we all we all overeat and it's just about then retraining your brain to think, right, I can I can still actually function on this number of calories or on this food or by cutting out these foods or whatever. I can I can still function. And then it's not just a case of oh I can still function. It's actually I think I'm functioning better for cutting out all of these other foods and numbers e numbers you know and all that sort of stuff in fact i i feel better when people come up to me oh you're looking really thin maybe you could you know you need to you know yeah oh are you all right are you i feel better most of the time than when people say to me mate you're looking really well because by that point i'm chubby and, and what they mean is by you looking really well they mean is you look like the rest of us now so you make us feel better that's whereas when i'm really thin and they see me that they feel who didn't need to lose weight to begin with, lose X amount of weight. What it does is it it strips away their excuses and, and it and it highlights their, you know, their um Insecurities I don't know. Yeah, and, and and failures in the sense of like a disciplined diet and, and that sort of stuff. So it's like Oh, well, if, if we just get Matt to look like the rest of us, then it's cool. But if, if Matt's 
getting down to eight stone, seven stone, ten, and even when I'm just walking around like eight and a half stone when I'm, I'm on my diet and that sort of stuff, I can't say, oh, I can't lose X amount of weight because I haven't got the time because we've all got the same 24 hours. <laughs> all of us, like, I haven't got any more time than anybody else. We've all got the same time, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's discipline. Like, you know, I'll probably circle back to it again at some point before we get to the end, but it's all about discipline. So, Matt, you're a poet and a very good one at that. I mean, boxing and poetry, they're not exactly synonymous with one another. So, firstly, like, you know, tell us a little bit about your journey in poetry uh, and, and what it is you do. And, and then if you could give us a flavour as well into whether poetry kind of feeds into your life as a boxer and vice versa. Absolutely. So one of the best ways I explain when people say, oh, it's, you know, boxing poetry, it's opposite ends of the scale. And I say for sure, but it's part of the same scale. So they're not two totally different scales. So there might be opposite ends of the scale, but they're opposite ends of the same scale. You know, talked about balance and stuff mm, already. Yeah. So that that's how I look at it from, from that aspect. Um, I got into it the same time that I got into boxing, permanently excluded from school. At my, my preschool, my pupil referral unit, my teacher Sue Barnes said, you've got to write a, a story or a poem for coursework. It's like, I'm, I, you know, I don't know, I'm not bothered. You, you give a 15-year-old a choice of writing, they're, they're really not bothered. And um, I was like, you know, I, I don't care. And she was like, well, the story has to be two pages and the poem has to be one page. I was like, I'll do a poem. I love poems, man. <laughs> I, can, I can write. I can rhyme with words pretty easy. I'll, uh, I'll do it, but I know poetry doesn't have to rhyme. But because the other option was a story, I thought if I was going to do non-rhyming, it would be the story. So if I was going to do a poem, I was going to make it rhyme. So did it. Teacher was impressed with it. Next session then, she slid the Young Poet Laureate application form in front of me. I couldn't even read the word laureate, didn't know what it meant, what it stood for, nothing. Um, and she was like, I think you should, I saw this and I thought of you, you should enter. We had to write four poems and 250 words as to why you'd be a good laureate. So I did that, didn't enter, just sat on it. If you entered yet, not yet, miss. If you entered yet, not yet, miss. And it got to the last day and I thought, well, I've done all the work that I need to do for it. I might as well just send off because... If I send off and don't make the final 10, you know, that's that's a possibility. But if I don't enter it, I definitely won't make the final 10. It's a 100% chance that I will not make the final 10 if I, if I don't send off. So I'll just send off. Um, got the letter back. I'd made the final 10. Um, so I had to go to the library theatre in town. So I got there. It's very grammar school, middle class girls. And then you've got working class kicked out of school. Lad, me, just there representing <laughs> you know i stood up on stage with a with a shaky piece of paper and i came runner up that year but was hugely inspired by the events and the the adults that were involved in hosting it and so on and then a year later i i, I kept writing and, and kept active within the the scene as best as i could throughout that year i was only 15 at the time entered again when when it opened again made the final 10 this time i memorized my poem took the microphone out the stand, tried to have more stage presence and so on and so forth. And unfortunately, I won that one. That was 2007. So I became the first male in the UK to ever be a young poet laureate. And I, I think now, that was in 2007, I think now we're in like double figures of, of lads easy that have gone on and, and been in, but 
but prior to that, it, it had only been been girls who had had that title. So I was kind of doing it for the for the lads and stuff as well. And people would go, oh, boxing and poetry, that's different. And it's only when people started to say to me, that's different, that I thought, oh, yeah, I guess it is. I, I never thought, I've, I've always been lucky. I don't know whether it's my, my upbringing, you know, my parent, what, I don't know. But I've never really cared what people think. If I wanted to do something, I'd do it. So, if, you know, to, to use kind of a, a, a boring metaphor, if, if me and a group of people are walking and I want to turn left and everybody else turns left, I'll still go left. I won't go right for the sake of being different to everybody else because then I think you just become a pain in the backside. So I, just being different for the sake of trying to be different. I, I wasn't that. But if I wanted to go left and every single person that I was with went right, I'd still go left because that's what I wanted to do. I wasn't doing it to be different. I was It was just that's, that's the way that I wanted to go. That's the route that I like the look of or whatever it was. So I've always just done what I wanted to do. So it was, I guess, a separate thing, but not, any, you know, I, I was at the boxing gym of, of an evening um, and I, I'd do some poetry or whatever in, in the day, but I never once thought, oh, I can't be a poet because I'm a boxer or I can't do boxing because I write poetry. I, did, I, mean, I just... I like both of them. I was okay at both of them. So I was like, I'm going to do both of them. <laughs> it was only when people started to make a bit of a thing about, oh, that's different. Like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I guess it is, yeah. Um, but it, it never really mattered <laughs> to me. It's just I enjoyed it. So now I go into schools, work with young people. Because when I was the Young Poet Laureate, of course, I'm the Poet Laureate for young people. So I was booked to be at events where young people were and then there'd be the the lord mayor perhaps the the councillor and they give some boring speeches or something and then i'd come up after them and it'd, it'd make me look really good and uh teachers would come up to me afterwards and they go our students love that and they normally hate poetry do you come into schools so you exchange details you go into their school we have a brilliant day teachers always know other teachers at other schools so they would tell their local schools, oh, we had this poet coming, he's a lad and he's a boxer as well, so it's really good for the, the hard-to-reach young lads that are at schools that are failing and all that sort of stuff. So like, you should get him in. So then those surrounding schools would get me in and then it kind of snowballs and then the you know the, the teacher at the one school that you went to moves from a school in Sutton Coldfield and they move down to Gloucester or something. So then they get you into that school in Gloucester and then they tell their surrounding schools and it just kind of snowballs so... Um, ever since then up until this day and obviously covid was was somewhat difficult but um prior that little little lockdown gap um all i've ever done is is going into schools working with young people um providing outlets through predominantly poetry writing some schools also commission me or book me to do Boxer size sessions, non-contact boxer size, and, and teach them this, the discipline of that. Healthy body, healthy mind, which of course I'm big on because so many people now are talking about mental health and the importance of that. And then people also talk about the fact that one third of young people are leaving primary school, either overweight or obese. And we know that physical exercise helps our mental health, but it, they're never really 
talked about together. They're always still separate, which is why you still, to this day, have people going, boxing and poetry, that's different. That's unusual. That's strange. Don't hear that very often because we never... We just think sportsmen are dummies in everything else or sports people are dummies in the other stuff that they do. If you think of sports people, they always make fun of how their voice sounds or the fact that they're not very intelligent or, you know, because they're sports people. And then on the other side of the fence, when we're talking about mental health and, you know, oh, it's okay not to be okay and, you know, all this, the, the, the strap lines that people fling out on their social medias and stuff, but... You know, I'm I'm a great believer that just sitting. Of course, there are certain levels, different extremes, and all the rest of it. But just sitting inside, taking tablets for the rest of your life in a dark room and stuff isn't isn't going to do it for you either. So, exercise is a great way to get those endorphins pumping, getting fresh air into your lungs, sunlight into your eyes, and 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 getting out there and, and combating it. So, I'm I'm big on the healthy body, healthy mind thing. And my my main message to young people that I work with is just pursue your passions so i want you to engage in my sessions i want you to enjoy the sessions but i don't expect or even want everybody to sprint out of my classroom going i now want to be a boxing poet that's not it but if it helps encourage that it was funny because from 2007 when i first started going into schools it's been this big thing about breaking stereotypes and and just being who you are and what you want to be so if you're a working class kicked out of school lad that wants to do poetry, do that. You can break that stereotype. But if you're also a five foot four, eight stone little lad that wants to box, I've, I'm also kind of breaking the stereotype from that sense. I'm very much living the stereotype in the boxing in the sense of excluded from school getting into fights like at the football and, and you know, and then that's in the playground and that sort of stuff. So I, I very much lived a lot of stereotype versions of it as well. So I, I always used to say if you're a lad that wants to be a ballet dancer or a girl that wants to be a builder or whatever, then go after it. But what I'm doing now, I find a lot of times, is I'm, I'm also reinforcing the acceptance of, being the stereotypes or still encourage the lads that want to be the ballet dancers and the girls that want to be the builders and all that sort of stuff. That's great. I said, but if you're a lad and you want to be a builder or you're a girl and you want to be a beautician, that's okay too. Like being the stereotype is all right as well because everything nowadays is about being different and embracing your weird side and be unique and there are eight billion people on this planet right and none of them are you so you pursuing your passion you living the life that you love to live that's the most unique thing being yourself is the most unique thing that you can be even if there are a billion other people that are also doing what you're doing because you're staying true to yourself and you're being who you want to be. So the most unique thing that you can do is just be yourself. And if you're trying to be different, you're trying to be out there, you're trying to wear a certain thing to stand up, but you don't really want to wear that certain thing, but you're just trying to stand, then you're not, you're not, you're not actually being very unique because you're not, you're not being yourself. You know, so this is the message now that, that I try and, and get through to, to young people because it's it's easy then for those that are, that you know, 
the footballing lads and the, you know, the make-up-y girls and that sort of stuff to almost feel ostracised and like they're doing something wrong because they're not against the stereotype or, the, you know what I mean, that sort of thing. So just say, whatever you want, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, as long as you're not, you know, being hateful or whatever, just just pursue your path, whatever it is that you enjoy, whether that's something that isn't, the stereotype and it goes against the grain or whether it's something that very much is the stereotype if that's what brings you joy and by it bringing you joy it doesn't harm anybody else do it <laughs> it's as simple as that so that's what i do when i go into schools and, and hopefully just give some some young people a voice communications coming again there's so much i could go on and on and there's so much to it that, that i do but communication skills people talk now about young people not being able to communicate properly and being able to handle their emotions and so on and so forth so i hate the term role model i hate being called a role model but I, you know i try and give them a little bit of a of a positive figure to go oh well, he's he's like us like if he could do it i could i was at a school um tommy's so a, a school very local to me a few months ago and his kid blessing me he'd been like researching me online and he came up to me at break and he's like so Matt, let me just get this right you, you're the Commonwealth champion. And I went, yeah, that's right. And he said, and as a light flyweight, you, you're the British and European number one. I went, yeah, that's right. Um, I just can't believe you're at my school working with us. He was like gobsmacked by it. I said, what are you talking about? You're not us. I live down the road. I come running past your school nearly every morning. I'm a, I'm a morning run. Do you know what I mean? I'm from I'm from random man. I'm I'm the same as as you. And, and to him, it was like I was, you know, a little somebody, but like a, a, a somebody he couldn't believe that I was there, engaging with them and talking to them, and and that the school had managed to get me in or whatever. It was like when I say weird in the most humbling, beautiful way. But I was like, yeah, I'm just. I'm I'm very approachable. <laughs> people can talk to me. Um, I've had people before where they message me and stuff, and when I get back to them, they're like, "I can't believe you've replied," or "Thanks ever so much for replying." I'm like, "Why would I not reply?" <laughs> reply? Of course, I'm going to reply. Do you know what I mean? That sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, just trying to to give them the belief and the confidence that they can become whatever it is that they want to become, but also reinforcing the fact that nothing lands in your lap. You're going to have to work hard for it. You're going to have to fail a whole way more bunch of times than what you're ever going to succeed. So be prepared to fail because in in order to succeed, you have to fail. So don't get too embarrassed or too proud about failing. You know, a bunch of the teenage lads kind of say to me somewhat arrogantly, you know, oh, you ever lost a fight? And I go, yeah, I've lost loads of fights. And you see their face sort of drop because they don't expect you to be so blasé and open about it. Mm. So, yeah, I've, I've lost loads of fights, but the most important fight of my life I won. So, <laughs> you know, I've, I've won fights as well, but, I've, you know, I, you don't speak to people at work and go, oh, I've been turned down from a job role. Yeah, obviously. You know, I mean, it, all of us have... have gone to job interviews and not got the job or not heard back when you've sent your CV in or whatever happens to all of us but you just have to keep chugging away so I talk to them very openly about my failures my setbacks and explain every single thing that I've done from school and education to young poet laureate 
to amateur titles, to professional titles, always came with an initial loss. And I hate it, hate, 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 hate it. When people go, oh, yeah, but you know what? No such thing as losing is that there's winning and there's learning. Now, mate, there is such things as losing. Lose all the time. Happens regular. I'd stop telling our young children that there's no such thing as losing. Because there is such thing. Now, yeah, I get what they're saying. I understand the point that they're making and, you know, losses and lessons and all that. So explain to them, teach them that you can learn from the losses, but stop telling them that there's no such thing as losing because there is. And what happens is then we end up with this society of people that have grown up their whole life being told that they can't lose and then they don't get into the college or the university that they want to get into or they don't get the grades that they want and they're not used to losing because back at school when they were doing sports day they came last in the race of 25 but they still got a gold medal at the end of it stopping from crying and, and from feeling bad so they're not used to it so then when they can't get the job that they want or the qualify then all of a sudden boom we've got a mental health crisis I'm not saying that's just solely the only like reason for it, but it, it's a factor for it because we're not used to setbacks and failure because we've been told that we can't lose. So I explained to them all very much that you can lose. Not only you can lose, you will lose. You will lose way more times than you ever win, but the victories will far outweigh any failure that you ever have. And as I said, circling back to, to the initial Commonwealth thing, it will make those losses make sense. Because you go, oh, well, if I would have got that job that I thought at the time I really wanted, I would never have got this job now and I'm earning more money or I enjoy it more or the time's more flexible or it's only four days a week or whatever it might be. So it, those losses make it make sense when you get the victory. But the victory only comes if you keep working. You start feeling sorry for yourself because you lost and you just go, oh, I'm just going to stay in and tell the doctor I'm depressed and not go to work for a few months and be on there and all that. Then it's, it's, it's not going to come, you know, so you have to keep working. You have to keep grinding at it, but um, it will make it all make sense. <laughs> it's a fantastic way to, to wrap up the podcast and several great points made in, in that last little piece of the discussion there, you know, young people being given the opportunity and the chance to kind of understand themselves and know themselves you know before trying to be different and before trying to be something that yeah. they're not perhaps and i give them the opportunity to get it wrong because of course at schools and it's not the teacher's fault i want to be very clear about that it's like offstead and the powers that be breathing fire down on the on the teachers but you know the schools are, are so it's got to be perfect first time and draw the margin down the left hand side and underline the date and the title and put it on the top left and everything's got to be so i'm like look I don't care if you're dyslexic. I don't care if your handwriting's messy. I don't care if you struggle to spell a word wrong. Try. Because if you try and spell a word correctly, one of two things happen. You'll sound it out phonetically and you'll get it right or you'll get it wrong. And that's as bad as it gets. The page isn't going to spontaneously combust. We're not going to have to evacuate the building because little Tommy Jones spelled a word wrong. In the greatest scheme of things, nobody cares. It doesn't matter. So be relaxed enough. Feel free enough to make mistakes and then as a writer you can go through what every single writer goes through and that's the editing process you can edit it change the spellings and make it better so I, I give them the the option the opportunity to make mistakes and let them know that it's okay absolutely and it strikes me Matt that 
you get so much from boxing and poetry, but that you're giving so much as well. And I think that's fantastic. So just to finish up, one final question. What, what do you feel are the key characteristics that contribute to shaping a champion? Characteristics to shaping a champion, I would say vision, focus, determination, resilience, opportunity, luck, bravery, support, tunnel vision, and discipline. <laughs> Love it. A fantastic list there. And Matt, where can people find you on social media? Uh, social you know, if they want to look into anything that you're doing. Um, Insta, Twitter, Facebook, so just Matt Windle, poet. Windle is like swindle without the S. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Windle, poet. Uh, yeah, and like I say, I'm pretty... Uh, you know, active. So if people want to kind of get in touch with me and just speak or whatever, then I'm, you know, I always get back to people. Absolutely amazing. Matt, it's been a, a real pleasure to be able to speak to you today. Um, thanks ever so much for taking the time out to do this. And likewise, people, please do follow us on all social media platforms, uh, Shaping Champions podcast. And we look forward to seeing you with the next episode. We can take our dreams and make them real, yeah. Look to the stars and reach, cause you can do what you feel.